What's up, my friend? Welcome to the Pixelus. That's Blake. I'm Will. My friend, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm good. I'm good. We're, we're recording a little, we're a day late, but I'm still excited to talk and chat about Critical Role and some of the things that happened this past Thursday. Yeah, me too. And we are, we are a day late, but uh, I actually just tweeted from our account that we actually weren't going to get this up till Sunday. So uh, this is going to be a surprise for people surprise when, this, then, yeah. when this gets updated, uh, updated yeah, yeah. Saturday. Um, but yeah, man, I can't wait to talk to you. We're talking about uh, Critical Role Campaign 3, Episode 4 today. And uh, the doozy picked up right after that uh, yeah, yeah. cliffhanger from Episode 3. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive in, excited to chat. Welcome, all of you who are checking out the channel. And uh, thanks for joining us. One thing we will tell you is we absolutely welcome you to throw down in the comments below your own thoughts, opinions. Uh, as you can see on our past videos, we love to engage with you and uh, even gather your insights. It's been great. Like some of the comments that we make, I feel like we'll make, by the way, great mug that you're sipping oh, on. Thanks. Yeah. A nice little teenage, teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you got to rep it. But I feel like we make like a random comment at like, you know, the 48 minute mark. And then someone's like, actually, this is what happened. <laughs> and it's I, I love it. I'm like, dude, yes. Thank you for helping us out. Thanks for yeah. giving us added insights. And, uh, you know, we're all on this journey together. So don't forget, not only can you comment, you can also check out our Twitter at the Pixelus. And uh, yeah, we talk about games, movies, shows that tickle our fancy. And we are huge D&D nerds. And so, yeah. Ready to dive in, I guess? Yeah, let's do it. Um, and uh, if you're new to us, we we start out each of these Critical Role episodes with a recap because, you know, long-form content can uh, can get lost in it sometimes. So we like to provide a little bit of a refresh for everyone. And uh, we actually upload the, the recap separately and host that on YouTube. So if you happen to be watching that and you're interested in Blake and I's full discussion, theory crafting, you know, deep dive, you'll be able to find a link to our full episode down below in the uh, comments. Um, yeah, I guess without further ado, then let's just jump into this recap of uh, episode four of Critical Role. Um, here's what you here's what happened. I think. <laughs> yeah, here's right. what happened. Let's talk about it. Here we it. go. Here we go. Okay, so the episode picks up right where we left off at the end of episode three with Imogen having this dream, and she basically jolts awake from this, immediately calls for Laudna, and uh, Laudna is. is in tune to what's happening here she's like was it another dream are you okay yeah and imogen's like it's the same dream that i've been having but i saw somebody this time and uh she's like i think it was bertrand and he disappeared into the storm and she's very upset by this and can't can't return to sleep and her and lada eventually decide like okay let's let's get up let's go look for bertrand and see if we can figure out what's going on here um, so they grab their coats and again, as a reminder, they're staying at the windowed wall. They weren't at the tavern where most of the party is staying. So they put on their coats and head back to the tavern to see if they can find Bertrand there. Um, so they arrive and, uh, at the spire by fire and it's pretty dead. Uh, but they realize they don't know what room Bertrand was even staying in. So they go up to the bartender and ask him, you know, can you tell us? what room uh, Mr. Bell was in and he won't, you know, violate the privacy of his, his right. patrons that way. So we won't tell him. So 
you know they they try to bargain with them but it's, he's not he's not budging so they just start yelling for bertrand they run upstairs and they just start knocking on doors trying to figure out <laughs> where yeah. he is and if they can find him and uh they're not having any luck they just you know keep knocking on complete yeah. strangers doors liam o'brien makes the joke of you know get all of your npcs ready because <laughs> it's almost like every door it's like a new npc uh yeah. hi yeah <laughs> keeping matt on his toes uh yeah but so ultimately they do get to Orem's door um uh, because the, they are staying there as well and he pokes his head out and is like hey you know what's going on and really quickly um Orm, Fern, and Dorian are kind of brought up to speed on what is happening, that Imogen has had this dream, and, um, you know, she's really worried about Bertrand. And so Dorian's like, you know, I, I was with him last, last night, uh, you know, he really wanted to go on this walk. Um, you know, I tried to stop him, but, you know, he was insistent, and so he, he actually was going to walk to find you guys uh, at the windowed wall. And they're like, oh, okay, and Orm's like, his... But his room's like two doors down. Let's just go check. And so they do. It's locked. Um, so Orm just fighter slices the door open. They go inside and he's not there. And they can tell that he hasn't been here. Um, so now everyone's really starting to panic. Dorian especially, since he was the last one that had seen Belle. And so he's like, let's go. Like he walks downstairs and it's like, we let's go look for him. Um, and so they decide to kind of retrace their steps back toward the windowed wall, since that was where they think he was going. And the group's basically making perception checks. Um, Orem rolls really highly and uh, unfortunately is able to find the body of their friend down a dark alleyway. And, you know, he goes up and inspects it and it is Bell. And unfortunately, he is dead. Um, they he just starts looking around trying to piece together what happens and they do quickly realize that he has the same wounds that Orem himself has which were from that dwarf that they fought the previous night so seemingly he hunted bell down and took him out in this alleyway um so basically the party is sitting here not trying to figure out what to do now and they ultimately decide, all right, let, let's get his body. Let's take him to Estros's because, you know, Estros is the only, like, connection that we know Bell has. So they decide to take the body there. Um, Again, it's like the middle of the night right now. I think Matt mentioned that it was maybe a few hours before sunrise. Right. Um, So it's the dead of night. They arrive at Estros's. Uh, Evelyn answers the door, sees what's going on, and she's like, okay, I'll go get him. Um, So they wait. And it's it's mentioned uh, that the house seems like a haunted house. It's like dark and spooky, but it is the middle of the night, so who knows what what to read into there? We might talk about it later. Um, Easy, Chewy. <laughs> but uh, so Estras loves his lore. <laughs> Estras eventually comes down, and they fill him in. You know, he gives his condolences, apologizes for their loss, and you know they're all worried that they might be next because seemingly they think that. Uh, Bell's death is in retribution for what they just this mission they did for Estros, and um, you know Estros is like, well, what enemies does Bell have? And they're like, no, I think what enemies do you have? Because we think this is related to you. And he's like, trust me, like my enemies, I have a lot of them, but they're smart and cunning. They would not try to get at me through Bertrand Bell. Right. Um, and so they're like, okay, so everyone's trying to like piece this together and yeah, it was interesting well i mean we'll talk about it later how he yeah. kept redirecting it back to bertrand right um, norm wasn't wasn't having it but yeah <laughs> anyway keep, keep going and we'll, we'll talk um, about it. 
We will. We will. And so he's like, you know, I'll, I'll put out my feelers, put out my contacts, see what I can find here. But in the meantime, y'all all need to be safe. And they're like, yeah, can we actually just stay here for the night? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'll need to prepare a room, but you know, that's fine. You can stay here. And so while he goes and prepares the room for them, uh, Fern asks Imogen about her dream a little more and asks like, you know, just more about it. And uh, Imogen reveals that, yeah, like she has this dream all the time and she's always in her hometown mm -hmm. um, and the storm always comes. But uh, this time is the first time she's ever seen anyone else in the dream, i.e. Bertrand. It's usually just right. herself. And she also reveals that um, she believes it's her mother's voice that she hears warning her, like telling her to run back away from the storm. And she thinks it, you know, could possibly be her mom from another realm or something. A right. lot of lot of mystery there that doesn't really get answered, but we do get that at least. Um, and while this is happening, the party hears this <laughs> coming from above, and all these swords start protruding through the ceiling, and they don't know if they're being attacked or what's happening. But then Estros yells, uh, "Sorry, just clearing the room." So clearly, <laughs> he's got this place booby trapped, right to the high nines, and is just making sure it's safe before he offers them the room. Uh, which he does, and so then the party goes to rest. Uh, meanwhile, back at the Crook House, Crook House, because Ashton and FCG were not staying at this inn that everyone else was, so they have been absent from all of these happenings in the middle of the night uh, because they were unaware to what was going on. So um, Ashton is actually poked awake by Annie, and she's just kind of bothering him, and she, she's like, hey, have you found any work? And Ashton says... Uh, yeah, and they actually throw her a hundred gold and say, you know, it's good work actually. And they kind of ask how the rehearsals are going, and she says, fine, you know, but I do my best when no one's watching. And FCG is like, well, you can practice in front of us every time. And I love that he was just trying to like kind of poke Matt in that moment. Um, yeah. But she's like, no, people got to pay to see me work. And Ashton's like, I'll gladly pay to be able to criticize you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just kind of like a fun character moment but anyway they decide that all right well you know let's go get breakfast sandwiches for everybody and then we'll meet up like we were supposed to do um so they do just that and there's a funny line that he says that i'm gonna get everyone except bertrand because by his own <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there were anyway. a lot of comments you're like haha uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yes exactly um so mm. they get the breakfast sandwiches go into the meeting spot at the vertical gardens. Meanwhile, the rest of the party is waking up at Estaros's and they head to the gardens as well. And they find FCG and Ashton already there waiting for them. And they fill FCG and Ashton in on the events of the night and basically just get everyone caught up to speed in, uh, in this little scene. Uh, the only other little points of interest were uh, Mr. Eats Dorian's breakfast sandwich and uh, then Mr. and Pate de Rolo are introduced, and Mr. gets very jealous. Um, <laughs> then everyone's, like, offering Dorian uh, pieces of their sandwich. And he's like, why does everyone think I have such a big appetite? Uh, Orem's <laughs> the one that eats so much. And Orem's like, that was one time. And yeah. uh, EXU reference. <laughs> yep. And uh, Orem actually gives the rest of his sandwich to Mr. as well. But so after everyone's caught up and they've they've eaten their sandwiches, they're like, all right, well, what do we do now? And they decide to head back to the Weary Way Inn where they first encountered that dwarf to see if they could just find out anything else. So they head there and talk to the innkeeper, Kamala the Maven, and they're basically trying to smooth her for information, be like, you know, we really loved it when we stayed here. Can we reserve that same room? And she's like, ah, oh, that room's occupied right now, but, you know, you can get it as soon as they leave. 
And so you're like, okay, thanks. So they head back outside, um, except for Imogen, who decides to go upstairs and use her kind of like telepathic abilities to see if she can hear if anyone is indeed in that room. Um, when she comes to find that there's not, it's empty. So she tries the door, it's unlocked. And so she goes in and she sees that the room is basically in the same exact state that it was when they left it from their battle. Um, so she strolls out to the balcony and can see everyone else that's uh, waiting outside. And she's like, hey, no one's in here. Come on up. And um, everyone uses kind of like a different way to jump up to the balcony and and join her in there. And so they're just investigating this room again, seeing if they can find anything new. And they return to that hole that they found previously. And uh, Orem is basically the only one that can kind of fit in there and see what's going on. And he kind of gets between the walls and finds out that there's like this shaft that continues down again he's the only one that can fit and so ultimately decides that all right let's let's see where this goes and it's where those uh shade creepers came out originally and uh before he decides to go in there um laudna gives him like a rock chisel in case he needs it and fcg gives orum the coin of delving which is this like magical rock that emits a light and uh when you toss it it kind of like can ping and alert the user to like how far away it was when it finally yeah. landed um it's an important this is an important item that we'll yes, find out yes stay tuned um <laughs> so good and so fern uh before he goes fern's like well i'm gonna turn into a snake and go with you so you don't have to go alone and so the two of them she go has in. blind sight too oh so. yes right yeah because it's dark in there and um so they go in start crawling down this path and they're telepathically communicating with uh imogen while this is happening via her ability and uh Ashton actually has tied a rope around Orem, so he has, like, an anchor as well. Uh, they eventually come to a spot where it's just, like, a straight-down, like, vertical drop. And so they start slowly going down there and just going and going, and they're like, gosh, like, how far is this? And so he takes the, the coin of delving that FCG gave him and tosses it down and is just waiting and waiting and waiting and... After like 30 seconds, it finally pings and they're alerted to the fact that it, it, it goes some 1200 feet down. And so they're blown away by this and he relays this information back to Imogen and they're like, yeah, I mean, I guess hoist this back up because we're clearly not going 1200 feet down here. Um, so they get pulled back up, tell everyone what happens and Orm's like, hey, yeah, FCG, sorry, I lost your coin. And FCG is like, oh. It's fine. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, what? <laughs> and you can tell he's like upset by it, but he's like not saying that. He's like, it's fine. Like, yeah. you know, I, I don't care. It's not like it was given yeah. to me by my dead friend dancer. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and Orm's like, oh my gosh, like I feel so bad. And yeah. he's like, oh, please, like I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And he's like, yeah, you know, no worries. Uh, and Lana's like, uh, what happened to Dancer? And FCG says that she was eviscerated by an unknown monster. Um, and Orm's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, please let me pay for it. And FCG's like, you know, I don't, I don't like money. I don't take money. And so Orm's like, here, Ashton, please hold on to this money for, yeah, for FCG. So Orm gives 200 gold to Ashton because it uh. feels so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But then the whole party is just basically talking about, like, what the hell does this 1,200-foot drop mean? They're talking about, like, how right. big are the spires? Like, do they mine stuff here? Like, what could this possibly yeah. be? And they don't really have any good ideas um, for what it could be. So they kind of put that on pause for now. And then they turn back to, okay, let's investigate this room. 
how did this dwarf get out of here that night? Uh, right. He was too big to fit in the shaft. And so they're right. like, perhaps he went on to the roof. And yeah. uh, so the party kind of splits. Half of them are like, we'll check the roof. The rest are going back to the street. And uh, do you want to take over from there? Yeah, yeah, dude. I, I love listening to your recap. I'm just like reliving it. I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's such a good part. Um, yeah, so they, they, they're kind of at a dead end. And they're like, okay, let's just figure out where the dwarf went. So some go up to the roof. Some go down ba- uh, back outside of the tavern. And on the roof, it's pretty, um, not really much there, except they do notice were the Simurgs, like the um, this wolf head bird that's native to the region. Um, we've seen its bird poop on other rooftops. <laughs> yeah. And they do see this on the roof, and they see what appears to be dwarven footprints, um, as if someone had like launched themselves off of the roof. And they take this to realize, basically, that the dwarf must have escaped via the roof at some point. So they yell that down to the people down below, and they're kind of like, okay, well, that's not really helpful. And so they all go back down and they're about to leave when someone's like, well, well, I think it's FCG is like, well, someone must have rented the room. Like, why don't we ask, um, is it Kamala? Kamala is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's ask Kamala if, um, if they know who rented it. And so they're all thinking of these great ideas. Like, well, how can we figure this out? And then Ashton is like, don't, doesn't like a bribe work. Like, and it kind of threw me back to a previous episode where he's like, does anyone crime here? Like, why are we making <laughs> yeah. this so difficult? So he goes in and asks basically who owned the room and Kamal's like, eh, I don't know. And um, basically bribes him 10 gold and like slides it, you know, across, I think it's like in a not very subtle way, just slides yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, Kamala basically is like, yeah, on the promise that um, Ashton will make sure this kind of trouble doesn't happen again in terms of like beating up the room. He's like, yeah, it was a dwarf named Duggar, and Duggar's been renting the room on and off for about a month now. And so he's like, okay, great. Thanks for telling me that. So he comes out, and um, Ashton's very excited, almost like (laughs) it's his first time doing this, um, which you wouldn't expect with this character. And he shares the information with the rest of the group that it's a dwarf named Duggar, and that's basically all they know. Well, Ladna's like, well, why don't we, on the way back to Estoros, why don't we stop at other taverns to see if he had like another room that he's been like bouncing around, which I thought was a great idea. Yeah. The only tavern that he is on the way is Spire by Fire. So they dip into there and you get this great scene where Dorian, um, they're like, hey, Dorian, you know, you, you probably know how to handle taverns. And he's like, why would I know that? <laughs> And which we'll talk about later, but he's like, okay, yeah. So he has this great moment where he just kind of yells out loud. He's like, oh, Duggar, you old dog, you jilted me again. And like, kind of like looks around to see if anyone notices. And he does notice a tiefling in the corner who like looks up, notices the name and then quickly is like, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know who that is. Yeah. He goes and sits down with the tiefling and he's like, hi, do you, um, you know, hi, I'm new here. And kind of have some small talk and tiefling's like, what's going on? And basically says, hey, uh, I was gambling with someone and they took off with my bet. I'm new here. That's not cool. Do you know a guy named Duggar by chance? And the tiefling is like, uh, yeah. I think it's, I think the tiefling's name is Janaya. Mm-hmm. And Janaya's like, yeah, uh, I do know Duggar. Duggar's been around here for a long time. Uh, used to be a carpenter. And I think it was something like six months ago, shop closed down, but Duggar continued to seem to have money, meaning that he was likely into some shady deals. Right. And I also points out that Duggar has never been this creepy before, but that he's really just been wasting away, that he's possibly on something or doing something. 
Um, and also in this conversation, Janai's getting to be really suspicious of who is this person. And at one point, Dorian actually puts his hand on Janiah's hand and casts charm person. And then Janiah is like, <laughs> it's just this great scene with Matt Mercer where, you know, he's kind of flirting back with Dorian and it's just such a great scene. And the one line I just have to mention in the recap is Dorian's trying to break away. And he's like, Hey, are you empty? Do you, you need a refill? And he's like, Oh yeah, fill me up. And it was just a great, like on the nose line. And then when they're when they're leaving, Janiah's like, "Where are you going? Come back." Um, it was just great. Yeah. So anyway, they they make their way with this information uh, back to Esteros, and I can't remember if it was Janiah or Esteros who mentioned the who bought corsairs. I think it was Janiah originally, right? I think they both. Yeah, yeah. Janiah did, but they both talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Janiah originally had said that. Um, Duggar had got himself in with the Hubat Corsairs, which is another like um, shady dealing type of organization similar to the Ivory Syndicate. And actually, when they go back to Esteros, they see Bertrand, uh, his body's kind of laid out still, almost kind of like in a um, visitation room kind of way is kind of what I envision. Mm -hmm. And they share this information with Esteros, who basically says, yeah, the Hubat Corsairs are kind of like a Robin Hood-esque rob from the rich give to the poor um they're always in conflict with the ivory syndicate um they're not they don't hurt people whereas the ivory syndicate is quite brutal and basically paints this as a very um almost like noble-esque um yeah moral code type of organization they have a better reputation for sure yeah. like in the streets yeah. And Dorian's like, well, that doesn't make sense because Duggar killed our friend. Right, so, right. And so Esteros is like, well, it could be that that's just their reputation that they've like carefully curated, but yeah. that actually that's not who they really are. Um, but he does mention, hey, I have been wanting to get in with them. So if you come across them, basically let me know. And um, Put in a good word. Like, yeah, I'd like to have a more formal relationship with them. Yeah. So there's a lot of like random conversations that happen. Um, Fern asked questions about like broomstone. Is it found here? Um, and, uh, Estros basically says, no, no, it, that's carefully taken care of by another group, um, far away from here. Even I don't know where it's kept. Um, he does name one of the other spires, uh, the smolder spire, which mm -hmm. is where there's a lot of mining that happens. Um, and Fern asks, is there any broomstone here? Or like, do they mine it here? And he's like, no. And Fern does an insight check, rolls high, and gets a very long whisper from Matt Mercer about this conversation. We don't know what it is. Ooh. So they continue to have the conversation. They ultimately decide, okay, let's try to follow this arc of the Hubat Corsairs. And um, they have a moment where they decide that they want to say their goodbye to Bertrand. And each of them does. And it's actually a fairly sweet moment combined with some... Um, pretty funny comments like fern mentions hey i know you hated jazz and i hope wherever you went <laughs> that you end up liking it so you know stuff like that but they also have this conversation with um esteros on where to send the body and they eventually basically say yeah maybe send it to whitestone because of the vox machina lapel that's on his shirt right uh they're like should we send him to zephra should we send him to uh um whitestone and basically Basically, Esteros reveals that he does have an airship and that he can um, basically yeah, send what a Bertrand. A baller, by the way. Yeah, this dude is filthy rich, obviously. Says, yeah, we'll send him to Whitestone. Um, so they decide that the group decides to head to the Crook House um, because they realize that 
Estros basically says that the Hubat Corsairs are known in the Elder Post, which is like this underground market, um, and that they they they're they have a reputation in the hollow and where the crook house is basically this underbelly of the spires. And so they decide to head that way, but not before Orum one-to-one with Esteros reveals more about his mission. He says, basically, do you know, uh, Rashad Bregio? Um, I'm looking for him. There was an attack on a family back in Taldore, similar to an attack here. And in this conversation with Esteros, um, Esteros basically says, yeah, Brescio, also known as the anger, uh, was wounded. He's recovering ever since there was an attack on the Loomis family locally. And so this is apparently some kind of royal or uh, noble family attack that's very similar to something that happened in Taldore. We're not really sure what. Yeah, but in Zephra, I think, specifically. Oh, okay, in Zephra. Mm-hmm. And Esteros basically says, um, well, you keep doing work for me and in just a little while, I'll make an introduction for yeah. you, is basically what he says. Party heads to the Crook House. Uh, they meet Milo, who's wearing like these very big goggles that accentuate his eyes uh, or their eyes. And I envision like a, um, from the Incredibles, like the no capes person. Like, <laughs> yeah, really that's who I thought of too. And, uh, you know, um, Milo's kind of tinkering with some stuff and uh, Laudan is actually very impressed with this and is like, look, I have my own thing that I've tinkered with and shows Pate Dorolo, who Milo absolutely adores. And it's like, I could do that. I could make that. <laughs> Laudan makes an interesting detail where she says, oh, it can only go six inches from me for now. So yeah. be interesting what that means. We'll talk more about that. And Ashton basically says like, hey, we're trying to find the Who Bought Corsairs. Do you have any ideas, any leads? And um, Milo basically says, yeah, you could go ask Advic. And he's like, oh, I don't want to go talk to Advic. <laughs> Not Advic. Like, who's, who's Advic? And he's like, oh, man, you know, Advic, I have a debt with him. And he says, or you can go talk to Ethid. And he's like, oh, no, I can't do that. There's a lot of <laughs> names get thrown around here. And they yeah, ultimately decide, okay, names. let's go talk to Advic. Uh, coincidentally, down in the Elder Post. They go down the Elder Post. It's deep in the underbelly of the Lantern Spire. And um, again, it's like this underground marketplace, basically, like envision like tunnels underground with like booths set up, merchants, things like that. And they come across this gentleman, this very shady fellow, who's like, you know, have a look at my wares. And this is um, Efrid, I think. I think so, yeah. A lot of E names. Uh, I think it's Efrid, the Shadow Baker. The Shadow Baker. He has this uh, trench coat esque, you know, portrayal of all of these baked goods. And party ends up um, buying, and they're like, oh my gosh, you're delicious. You're amazing. And what ends up happening is Ashen decides to bribe him to tell him about um, the Hubot Corsairs and basically says, you know, we're in bad with this guy named Duggar. He makes a role that doesn't seem like a very good role. And he also bribes five gold. And uh, uh, the Shadow Baker says, basically, yeah, you need to head over to the um, root. Uh, was it the root trader alcove? Yes which is nearby and says, um, tell them you're, you've come for the laughter and that will set you on your way to like where you're trying to go. And they're like, okay, great. Thank you. That was really helpful. Yeah. So they head to this area. And, and uh, Imogen yeah. was like probing his mind during the, during this whole where they're trying to get information out of him. She also did her mind tricks to kind of like read his mind. And it seems like he's aware of this too. Yeah. Um, which we'll talk more about that in the, in our description of this episode. But so they go to this alcove and there's two people. There's a dragonborn and a um, 
what was the name? Uh, I think of like Arakoa, but it wasn't that. It was a different. It was like a bird-like race. Uh, yeah, I have this written down somewhere. Well, the the bird-like creature's name is Heron, and uh, oh, basically they're Eusphora or something. Okay, I'm saying it wrong, but well, so they get there and they kind of like awkwardly like we're here for the laughter, and they're <laughs> yeah. like, okay. So they show this door behind like some clothing because this is kind of like a trader area, and I think of like. Um, you know, the rolling cart of like coats and they kind of move that aside. There's a door. They go up this spiral narrow staircase to a latch that they open one by one. They climb out and they're in this incredibly dark storage room. Dorian lights his scimitar. Um, Ladna has dark vision and they realize that on the edge of this space are all of these people who were just standing there staring at them. And Heron basically says, you know, these people have come for the laughter and there's this like cacophony of chuckles and laughters <laughs> among the crowd. And then this one roguish like character steps out and has a sword, a scimitar in his hand and says, um, today friends is not your luckiest of days. And it seems like they've walked into some kind of trap. And that is what happened on episode four of critical role campaign three. Well done. Woo. A lot of stuff. That was a lot of stuff. All right. So where to start, man? First of all, reactions to the episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved it. I usually always do. Um, but let's I, be honest, we're just we're just dirty fanboys. I am. I am. You know, I, I mean, it's like, yeah. I, I loved I, it too. It's and I, honestly, I know some people, and I didn't even see any negativity, so I'm not citing anything specifically but i know some people are kind of like disappointed when there's no combat because there really wasn't any combat in this episode but i love it because my favorite moments are the, like the character rp mm -hmm. moments uh, obviously combat combat can be badass but uh th this was a very character driven rp episode um with a hell of a cliffhanger that's two uh, two weeks in a row now we've had some pretty big cliffhangers um right yeah, there was this was a huge like info dump of an episode, especially in the the like final chapter of the episode. We got so many name drops, so many like new like potential quest lines, if you will. Right. Um, hard to keep track of, but very exciting. Yeah. Um, and I was texting you, being like, "Okay, what, what was that name? What was yeah. that?" You know, because there were so many. Um, because I even remember like the campaign that I'm DMing with some of my friends. I'll dump like a bunch of those names. And then my people will be like, okay, I got like one of those names. Say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we got so many names. And so I was texting you like, was this name right? Or, okay, wait, so is this Ephid? Yeah. Is this Ephrid? <laughs> who, who was this person? So Exactly. Yeah, so of, yeah, bear with us because, I mean, we really don't know if like, until there's like further confirmation, these names come up again. Like we, we may be saying them wrong. They may be incorrect. But so, yeah, bear with us on the, on the names. Yeah. Or when the Corsairs are mentioned, I was like, do you say the Hubal Corsairs? <laughs> like, I think Hubat. I don't yeah, know. I think. There's no subtitles in this thing. So, but yeah, I like the episode too. A lot of great information. Um, everyone's story is so interesting to me. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's part of the journey of Critical Role. We've talked about this in our EXU wrap up that, you know, we're basically, we enjoy D&D for the story. Mm -hmm. And so getting these breadcrumbs is really exciting. Um, something that, maybe this is a good starting point is like little data points with each person's story. Sure. The ones that I'd like to talk about today would be um, for me personally, Ladna had some interesting mm -hmm. details, mm -hmm. Imogen, yeah. FCG, 
and Orem with his mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know who you want to talk about, but maybe we can start with yeah, yeah. Just the start of the episode with Imogen, if sure. that works. Okay. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. No. <laughs> well, you I was going to say she dropped some interesting details. We we knew it was her home already because Matt had mentioned in the previous episode. Right. Um, I don't know where on a map this home is, but she said that she's had this dream for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so part of me wonders if this is part of like the premise of their mission, if it's related at all, if this is what ultimately set her on her course to leave her home. And did I hear her right? Was there a detail that the storm's gotten stronger over time? Because I think she had said something like the storm had become more and more fierce Mm -hmm. or I'd have to go back and watch it. I can't remember if I'm remembering that correctly. I'm not sure. I don't specifically recall that, but like that's with four hours of content, I could have easily missed it. I mean, that, that makes sense to me that it would be like, you know, story-wise that it's like evolving and getting closer and stuff. So makes sense to me, but I don't specifically remember. Yeah. Well, and they ask her, was it a dream or a premonition? And this seemed like a, a running theme. Every time she mentions this dream, there's someone who asks a question like that. Yeah. What's your take on the dream? Is it a premonition? Is it, we've talked about this a little bit last episode. You know, what's your, what's your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. I mean, clearly it's, it was a premonition, right? Like we have the meta knowledge to know that. I mean, I guess the characters do now too, since they found Bertrand's dead body, but I mean, clearly it was a premonition. Um, but what's interesting to me is that she said, this is the first time she's ever seen somebody else in the dream, especially since, you know, as you said, this is a dream she's had for a long time. So, uh, I'm trying to wonder, and this is something we kind of talked about last episode about why Bertrand was in it. Yeah. He died. And you made it put, uh, made the great point of perhaps it was like his proximity when he died to Imogen that maybe did that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I I don't know. I, it's clearly, clearly something. But that the fact that she had never seen anyone really stood out to me. I'm like, oh okay. Mm-hmm. Like, so what was different about this? Because mm-hmm. surely, if she's had this for a long time, you know, probably somebody's died <laughs> near mm-hmm. her. I don't know. Uh, did well, you? Ha- what did you think? Yeah, I I don't know about the difference with Bertrand and and Laura Bailey did a great job, by the way, of just the acting element of obviously spooked by this and like you know i have this dream that's really chaotic and disturbing and tiresome to keep having and okay wait that was really different and it's kind Mm -hmm. of freaked her out um the detail about her mom's voice and i couldn't get the sense of i think she said something like maybe she didn't know her mother but she hears this voice and she comes to know it as her mother something like that but i don't think it was like oh yeah that's my mom's voice i think it was like think that's my mother yeah there's that other total element too that we haven't we haven't heard that yet so but i did not like how laura was basically like um or imogen was like i've always been sort of trusting of that voice now i'm sort of a bit more curious about what even is that yeah that is a good point uh that you brought up because she does specifically like use the diction of, you know, I feel or like, I think it's my mom. So right. you, you would know your mom's voice, right? So does that mean she never knew her mother? And she also, I don't remember the exact context or the exact way she phrased this, but she, the words like she might be speaking to me from another realm were mentioned. So like, 
to me is that like well another realm as in she's dead or if she like doesn't know her mom never knew her mom is her mom did her mom vanish one day and she thinks maybe she's in another realm for some reason does her mom have these similar abilities and she lot or imogen knew about this and so she thinks maybe there's some like weird plane shift telepathic thing happening um but yeah just strange and also this wasn't mentioned in in this week's episode but uh, last week's episode um with the the dream sequence itself um when matt mentioned the where she was he said the hidden village so right that just adds another like layer of mystery to this like are these like why is her village hidden you know like what i feel like there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack here and we don't really have enough breadcrumbs to get anywhere i don't think but um, yeah and we had talked about is this some kind of like throw over to like near Dalpak from uh exandria mm-hmm. which we keep coming back to this like we need to do this video yeah uh, on what happened in exu for people who didn't see it yeah. um but th- for those who didn't see it basically um they're in exu they discover basically an ancient a a rumored long dead civilization that is still thriving in the sense of like this hidden city that is sort of this amalgamation of all these different cultures and races and um um there's more we can say about that we don't need to though but um so like we had said is is this something similar um because they came from did they say they came from taldore her and ladna Oh, I don't remember now. That detail I don't remember. Is there where they originally came from? Because they've been traveling for a long time. We may not. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I obviously, Lada was white stone originally, but it seems like that right. was forever ago. Right, right, right. But yeah, I don't um, know. If we do know, I forgot. But I don't know if we know where they mm. like were before, prior to Marquette. Yeah. Which Lada said something, too, that was really interesting. When they were talking about where to send Bertrand's body, and she said, Whitestone gets mentioned, and um, which I was texting you about that whole conversation because of um, Marisha and Laura joking with one that another. Was so, was that like, was so funny. Okay, it's what's so, going some on? Some C1 like inside jokes there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, Ladna made a comment. She said, Oh, yes, Whitestone. Um, and I don't remember the exact phrasing, but something like uh, they have a long history with the dead or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. Which I don't know if like the city's actually known for that, but from our conversations on her origin story, what what I've basically said, and I can't remember if we're on the same page, but is you know maybe she was killed at Whitestone, buried at Whitestone, tunneled out with the rock chisel or something, and that comment was so pronounced that even an FCG to her left, um, or rather Sam was like he was like. Huh. And he, he, it's always great when someone drops a little subtle like, thing because Sam always, yeah, turns the page <laughs> and just writes. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But it was pronounced enough that Sam was like, huh, okay. It's weird that you said that. But, yeah. I think it was, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's some depth to that comment that we don't really know yet, especially since, you know, presumably she is a hollow one and she is un, undead in some way or fashion. Again, forgive me if I'm not using like the exact correct terminology Crazy. here yeah yeah um but there is like there there is like a base level explanation that i feel like i could i could give an explanation for why she'd say that and there's nothing more there because of like you know and again i'm not going to touch on really spoilers but just stuff we already know there was a violent coup in whitestone where lots of people died 
they overthrew like the government of Whitestone, if you will, the royal family. And it was it was bad. Like it was this really bad event that happened. And so that it, that yeah, could be reason out. enough to be like, oh, Whitestone's a great place for the dead because there was like this horrific, yeah. violent history yeah, there. Okay, um, makes sense. But I do think that it could have layers because I mean, clearly she is undead, and you know maybe was kind of hinting at that. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I I can't wait to dive more into mm -hmm. into what exactly her history is. Lada seems to sleep though. Seems yeah. to eat. Yeah. Um, whenever they meet the Shadow Baker, Laudna tastes and, eat, and even Orum is like, did, did she actually eat it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I ate it. Um, Laudna will so, try anything. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this weird like um, intermediary state that she's in where she's not like the explicit undead, maybe cliche that we would think about or stereotype. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a bit of a curious character. It's like this undead it's like a pseudo undead person. It almost feels like. Right. Which, um, again, I think, I don't know enough about this to just like recite it, but, uh, if she is a hollow one, which I mean, everyone seems to think she is, which fine with me. Um, they, they're still treated like in terms of, and I think we talked about this a little bit, like you still heal them. They still, I guess, eat and sleep. Um, but yeah, I just don't know about like the mechanics of actually like, were they fully dead and they've been resurrected? Are they like, was it mm -hmm. necromancy? You know, like, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe it's kind of like, um, uh, like the forsaken and wow. Cause like they still eat and get healed and, um, but you know, they're still, they're undead. So, right. I, don't know, I feel like we could go, we could postulate forever here, but, uh, uh, another thing on Ladna, if you're, I think you you actually mentioned it during the recap, but unless you want to had more to say about the the white stone stuff, no. Um, the and I, this I don't know if this was just a throwaway comment or not, but it was interesting with the Pate de Rolo thing where she said, you know, he can only be this far away from me, like currently or whatever she said. Um, I wonder if she, uh, <clears throat> she and she, sorry, I know I'm rambling here, but she's sorcerer warlock, right? Right. I wonder if she ever will get like an animate like dead or animate creature spell or something and like maybe will actually like raise Pate to I be some it. sort of like familiar or something. I don't know. That's kind of the in interpretation I got. Yeah, was that, you know, because um, I think Lottie even says like, I'm working on some stuff, you know, so definitely seemed like a clue in that once she gains some more levels, we'll see Pate. Um be a companion of some kind, um, which I'm all for it. I mean, I love, I love Ladna and I love Pate Dorolo. So <laughs> I love that voice. And it yeah. was speaking of Pate, I, I think we can squeeze this in here. It was really interesting to me when, uh, they met up with Milo and he was like, he was working on something. Was it squirrels or rats? I think it was a rat like a robotic rat or something. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's what I was wondering. Cause right? he's like working on rats and, uh, you know, then he sees the Raven skull on pate and he's like, Oh, you can combine them. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh my God. So I was like, what the hell is he working on? Is it, is he working with robots? Is he working with like actual organic beings? Like, is he making chimeras is like, it's kind of weird. Like I was like, is he doing some like, Kind of messed up stuff or like is it 
is it all he's just the, robots? You know, he's the subtle. He's the subtle big bad, I think. Of, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Very curious because that's not like a normal thing to be doing. I don't. Yeah, feel it was like. the party was so. Um, uh, I guess disinterested in what they were working on. Yeah, you know. I mean, here's this person who's yeah seemingly doing something that's a bit strange in terms of tinkering, and they don't ever really rise the suspicion of everyone else. But maybe I mean they're pretty focused on everyone else is pretty focused on what the mission is. So I guess yeah. I. I guess I get it. And I guess so. maybe maybe it is like robots because th- isn't he isn't aren't they the one that uh repairs FCG? Hasn't that been mentioned that Milo does that? Yeah, that may be true. I don't remember that specific okay. detail. That that could be true. But he does also say that like the there's there's all these rats around, right? Like, yeah, like, and that's why I thought it was like a robotic rat to like I don't know, maybe oh. be friends with the other rats or something. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember, to be honest. Okay. So. Yeah, I just, that whole scene intrigued me, and I was wondering, yeah. like, what you, are they doing? You, you definitely get, like, these subtle story points that they kind of roll right off, and then you kind of peer into it a little bit, and you're like, okay, that was something. Like, Laudna saying, like, oh, yeah, Pate can only go six inches from me. Yeah. You're like, hmm, hmm. Okay. Um, um, but, uh, before we move on, uh, on Laudna still and kind of Imogen, uh, it was I thought it was just interesting to know we kind of more of a depth to their relationship because you know clearly when um, Imogen wakes up at the start of the episode, you know, her and Laudna immediately start talking and Laudna is familiar with everything that's happening, like totally, she knows yeah. about these dreams, you know. So um, I think that that is another like coin in the hat for the theory of like this is what she's researching like this is the yeah. mission they're on trying to figure out more about what's going on here and it's just... so did a common thread I was just scrolling through Reddit this morning and uh, a common thread that kept popping up was that there's I've always interpreted them as almost like sisterly like best friends like um, Lana's the companion uh, you know it's like the uh, Sam to Frodo, I guess, of yeah. of whatever mission uh, Imogen's on. A lot of comments about the two of them romantically involved. Mm. And it was like, oh, I mean, Ladna was there when she woke up. Like, why wasn't Ladna in her own room? Um, I thought which, she was in her own room. This, there was a lot of comments about um, the way Matt phrased it. It was like, mm. you know, Imogen didn't necessarily say, like, I go over to Ladna's room. Um so like, so like was Laudna in the room with her. Um, and so did you take any implication of like something relation of a relationship there, something romantic there, or are we just reading into it? I didn't yet. I mean, that could easily be the case. Like, I'm not saying that's crazy. Like that could clearly be it, but I personally was not feeling that yet. Um, and <laughs> People love to do their ships with any and every character. So like, like as soon that, as it happens, it's like ship it. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. surprise me that like, there's probably huge swaths of people that are all like already fully committed to the fact that they're together. And if they're not, their life is going to be over. But yeah, um, I think the first moment that Orem <laughs> defended Fern and EXU, people oh, yeah. were like, ship them, ship them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, who was it? Dariax and, uh, uh, the- Opal. Yeah. oh the deity the, yeah 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 yeah. the deity yeah yeah another <laughs> um, exe reference but <laughs> um but yeah i mean if if I, I mean i could see it what would their name be a uh, lot pull i don't know uh, I don't know. but i mean personally i didn't see that I, I thought i don't know why i thought this but i i thought that like 
there was some mention of like she she could hear Imogen through the wall, but maybe I'm making that up. Uh, meaning that Makes they weren't in the I mean, same I don't know. room. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I've always had kind of a more sisterly vibe with the two of them. It'll be interesting to hear more about what their backstory is and like what's, especially if this mission is mostly tied to Imogen. It's like, well, why is Ladna there for the journey? Right. You know, what What does she get out of it? Right. Um, so another um, character. Do you have more you want to say? Um, no, no, that, that pretty much is it. Just uh, the, okay. their relationship obviously goes pretty deep and I guess right. we'll find out if it's a romantic thing or just a friendship yeah. thing. If nothing else, Lana is a great friend because yeah. Imogen's really bothered and Lana does a great job comforting her. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Orem's mission and I feel Orem. like, yeah, I feel like there was, I, I mean, I don't know if there was, I wondered if there was like a C1 connection because he, he talks about Ashad Bregio and says, we're looking, I was sent here on a mission, which by the way, it, it, whenever he shared that there was an attack on a family back where he's from, which I think you had mentioned, uh, you took that to mean Zephra. I thought he just meant Taldore in general. But okay. the yeah. attack on a family that was similar to the attack on the Loomis family here in Marquette, which I'm thinking, okay, what, what would have to happen attack-wise for it to be so obviously connected? And I was surprised to hear that their mission is seemingly unrelated to EXU. Right. which is what I had in interpreted was that the events of EXU had basically, and we've mentioned just very briefly that um, they were investigating like a fire elemental type deal and something big was coming. And that was the whole premise of EXU basically. Um, so I thought this was a continuation of that mission. It seems like it's a bit unrelated where now there's some kind of attack on a family they're investigating is this a C1 connection? What's your take on this whole conversation? Um, I don't think it's a C1 connection. If it is, it's flying over my head. So okay. down in the comments, yo, if somebody else has a an intuition here, let us know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not directly related to EXU in a way that we can clearly draw the line to, but it still could be, right? Because there's basically a whole year of context that we're missing. So maybe this is like kind of like a like a stop along the tracks that what we know from EXU has led to this murder for whatever reason, you know? Um, so it is possible that it's still like connected, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And I, I can't remember if he, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know how I said, I thought it was Zephra. I don't, I can't remember now if like, if I just made that, like if he never even said that, if it was just my home or, you know, whatever his wordage was. So, right. um, if it was Zephyr, though, that would be interesting because clearly that means it's like close to close to home. I know that's like literal, but I just mean like uh, metaphorically, it's very close yeah. to home because uh, uh, Zephyr is where, you know, Orm's from. And that's where the voice of the Tempest, Keyleth, is like ruler of. And mm -hmm. so if something, you know if some type of brutal murder happened there, that would obviously be like high on the priority list of things to take care of. So perhaps it's just that Orem is mm -hmm. Orem and this crew of people are like a trusted um, team now. Um, if it's not related to EXU, I mean, and that's just why they were sent on this important mission. Um, but I, I did think it was interesting and not to, not to slide too far away from this. Cause I want to keep talking about the, 
the Brescia thing, but I think it was Fern mentioned that like they'd been there with him. And like the EXU crew has been to Zephra altogether. I don't know. Did you catch I don't that? that detail? Uh uh. Oh. Maybe. Um, I don't know. It was just I just thought it was interesting that like and I mean clearly, like I said, there's like a whole year of context we're missing, so I'm sure lots of things happened, but uh I just thought that was interesting. Um but yeah, back to the 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 anger, which the implication I got from all this is that um Brescio, aka the anger, is like some sort of hired muscle, some sort of yeah mercenary or guard and his I think even a level beyond guard is like a Denzel Washington, you know, <laughs> mercenary who's actually like, you know, the bad guys don't realize that it's actually like former CIA, yeah. you know, black hat op kind of person. <laughs> but anyway. It's, so on. like in their their like duty was to protect this house, house Loomis. Mahan house. Mahan oh. house where the Loomis family lived. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was confused about that. So what do you, what do you think the, like, what is Mahan house? A lot of name drops here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is that I, just I, like an area of the city or something? Mahan house could be, um, it could be like a, um, you know, like house Tyrell house Lannister. Like it could be like the name of this group of related families mm-hmm. and the Loomis family is a very particular one in this group in uh Drusar. Okay. That's my guess. I actually because yeah. I it would be kind of confusing like that specific house and the family in it. It's yeah. you know it's kind of why I named the house. So yeah that's that's why I was confused. I'm not, I'm not sure honestly because yeah. there were, and then we talked about the start of this episode so many name drops that you're like okay wait what you know following it's a little difficult. Yeah. So yeah if anyone else gleaned anything from how to like separate all these things please let yeah. us know. But yeah Mahan house Loomis family. Right. Uh, so Brescio was protecting them, presumably, and there was some sort of brutal attack that Brescio survived, but he apparently, right. you know, suffered some wounds and has been recovering ever since. Um, yeah, I mean, I just wonder what the, I, I guess, is the implication here that everyone else died and Brescio is the only one that survived. And so that's why they're looking for him. So they can like question this witness as it were, I'm wondering, or like, you know, why, why him? Like why him specifically is that who Orm's looking for? Mm -hmm. And, um, do we, we mentioned this, but do we still think this may be Travis's character? I think it's Travis's character. Um, which, bums me out that it's still going to take a little bit it seems to meet this character mm. um you definitely feel travis's absence at the table um but it seems like as they were parting and Esteros said you know keep sort of like finish this arc is almost what he basically said mm-hmm. it would seem like we wouldn't meet that character for another maybe four or five episodes yeah um, i hope true. i'm wrong i'd love to see this i'd love to see travis at the table this next thursday but yeah yeah, and I mean, I, I do, it does, I think we mentioned this earlier, it does feel like a nice, easy way to, like, slot, like, if that is his character, that's, like, a nice, like, point that we're approaching, um, and would make sense. Obviously, his character could show up at the beginning of next episode, and they could make it seamless and work, but, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it does seem like if that is him, it is going to be a while, so that's, that's kind of sad, but, I mean, it's, you know, it'll all work out in the end, I'm sure, but it was. Speaking of Travis really quick, it was just hilarious how uh, 
when Fern pickpocketed, or not pickpocketed, but Fern, when they found Belle's body, I don't think I mentioned yeah. this in the recap, but she took all the things out of his pockets. And so Matt was like, Travis, text them what were what was in your pockets. And uh, I think I retweeted this on our account, our Pixels account, if you guys didn't see it. But Travis tweeted out the list of things that they found. And it was just basically like <laughs> very, a bunch of old man stuff. Yeah, very old man-esque. <laughs> Uh, so it was good to know that you know and i fully expected this but it was good to know that you know even though travis isn't at the table like he's still there you know Mm. he's still a part of this journey it's not like you know he's at home doing his own thing um waiting for his moment to come back um but yeah so um lots of intriguing juicy details here but i don't really know if there's much else for us to to pick through as far as this aura mission and what may be going on here. It does feel like that is kind of it for now. Um, The other character I was interested in is fresh cut grass. Mm. Um, One, I loved like the, um, you know, yeah, take this coin. It'll help you because the coin glows. (laughs) uh, And basically he says like, Oh, and it does this. It's really cool. And then when Orm comes back up, he's like, what you did? What you got rid of the coin? Joking. Right. you know, it's it's almost a bit um it's obvious enough that Orm is like, oh my gosh, like I've offended this um auto- automaton. Mm-hmm. And uh also when Bertrand has died, Fresh Cut Grass basically says, um, like I understand you guys are probably all in shock. I mean, I'm sad too. There's this episode, he was very much less Ted Lasso-y. And more, um, there was just a bigger range of emotions. And it yeah. kind of made me wonder about the depth of his character, where um, I was kind of turning this over in my head. I was looking at some of the comments on Reddit, and I saw, and i sorry, I'm not accrediting it properly because it was just a random thing that I read and kept scrolling. But someone even mentioned, you know, he made the comment of these people are soul-touched. Could it be possible that he is actually soul-touched as well or something like this um only because he acted very human this episode human mm-hmm. as in like solely i guess um yeah i don't know it's his character was pretty interesting i thought in that way yeah i agree i mean i think he definitely i think he has a soul like mechanic mechanics aside like whatever that like soul touched whatever that means necessarily uh i'm not speaking on but i think he definitely like has a soul like i'm not i don't know if he's not ramble ramble i'm not saying that like he's someone that existed that was like transported right. into this yeah. robot body Body was put in it or something yeah like. yeah so i'm not saying that but i just think that like right. in this world like these aormatons like are can be like people basically right. um but it is interesting that he thinks he doesn't like he doesn't think that's true of himself right um so I wonder what's going on there, but I think it is true, even though he doesn't believe it to be true. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I agree that he, he kind of got some more depth here and uh, I really liked the like character choice of, you know, you could clearly tell that like he was upset, but like he still was like, no, it's fine. You know um, I like there's, there's some depth there that I enjoyed. And I love how Ashton and, yeah. and uh, or both played off of that. He's <laughs> like, Oh, but here Ashton, take this gold. Yeah, I I thought it was great how um again the reason I called it less Ted Lasso is because he's always been this upbeat, optimistic, like for the good of everyone else. 
And there's a very clear like, oh, it was only my last memento from, and I kind of get the sense like this is going to be a running joke for the rest of, at least in the short term, I hope it is, where like this coin keeps coming up. Yeah. Even at the end of the episode, when they're surrounded in this warehouse, he's like, oh, and also the coin can stun, uh, you know, 30 people, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. Oof. So. Yeah, I loved how uh, Ashton said that, like, oh, yeah, he holds a grudge. Like, you won't even believe this will come up in in, for months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Too funny. So good. Um, Uh, But other detail. Yeah, one thing on FCG still is, um, which I mentioned this in the recap, but while this is happening, Laudna asks, how did Dancer die? And he said it was eviscerated by an unknown creature. So I'm wondering, did you take that to mean probably the same incident? I think that, I think it's implied that he that dancer died with the rest of the crew because yeah. we didn't um, know that I, before though did we? Or did I don't we? think it was explicitly said that dancer was with them. Um, so I this would it, it's the most deliberate connection I think is yeah. the way I read that. Agreed. So. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I assumed that dancer definitely wouldn't have been with them. So it's interesting to me that dancer was because to me, and right. who knows what dancer could be literally anything but to me i had envisioned like this scientist type person that definitely is like away from the front lines so it's interesting to me if they were at the mine like as a part of this um, right event yep but um yep and i also this is kind of random but i also wondered if dancer created that coin since they seem to be like a the inventor type that's a good point actually um i kind of hope I'm kind of hoping the coin comes back, like wherever that <laughs> drop find down it later? point is. Yeah, they find it like, you know, in a pile of uh, you know, shade creeper poop or yeah. something. Yeah, oh yeah, like if they coin. killed it and it's looted like it from something, in there and it's like, oh man, there it is. That would be amazing. Um, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. And that so, would be great. I hope so too. It'd be a nice tie back. Um, Which that's all I had. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say we didn't. We haven't really talked about that yet. We could. Yeah, I mean, not that there's I'm, stuff I'm, to talk about there really, but like I wonder yeah, what yeah. the hell is that twelve hundred foot drop doing? I yeah, and I liked someone said I can't remember who it was, but so Matt mentioned that the tunnel was like a straight drop, and then like far down it seemed to like bend yeah, have a, away, yeah. um, like kind of out of sight. And someone was like, "Well, we could just drop and just let it take us," and everyone was like. No, that's a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't just go like drop in a twelve hundred foot tunnel. Yeah, what are you, what are you gonna um, land on? Yeah, if I'm the DM, I'm like definitely like, okay, guys, you're gonna die. Like, don't don't do that. Yeah, we're um, basically gods. We can we can fall this far. It. I was curious about. Um, yeah, obviously these uh, shade creepers have tunneled up. I think where did they tunnel from? And it it's it's an organized tunnel in the sense of like, it's this place for a reason, you know, it's right. not like just a random tunnel that ended up like on the surface. Um, and it's obviously tied to Duggar in some way. So very, I love this kind of stuff, by the way, like the mysterious, like, okay, what's going on here type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What's your take on all of it? I don't know either. I thought they had some good ideas of like, if it was like, it used to be some sort of mining shaft or whatever, but and it still could be, but at least with what they knew about Drusar and stuff, they didn't think that was the case. Cause like there is the, was it the smolder spire? Is that right? 
Like yep. that's where all that like industry type of stuff happens. So that really wouldn't make sense for here. It's pretty clearly a shade creeper tunnel because they mentioned the claw marks and um, right. Fern um, Fern says something like, you know, I lean over and lick it and he goes, it tastes like dirt. Like, <laughs> yeah, you have now tasted dirt in a tunnel with a claw on it. Yeah. And so, so. like was, I wonder how quickly they are capable of like doing that. Like, was that like, like, was that planned and that that tunnel was there ready? And so like, that's why they used that room or like, are they quick? Could they quickly tunnel 1200 feet to like come when the dwarf called them? You know, well, we know it, he's had it for a month, right? So, I mean, they, they have, they've had at least a month to figure this out, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a great question, but, um, yeah, then, I don't know. And then um, there, they know we know at least that there. This is common because you know Imogen and Laudna had had seen another. They didn't see another twelve hundred foot shaft, but they saw another like hole in a room that is that what led to the shaft, like in this room. Right, and we I forgot to mention that in the recap. Yeah, that they had found a tunnel in Shadana's either Shadana's room or like in a neighbor's room or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, but they were having the same problem with with these shade creepers popping up like vermin. And as we know, look very explicitly different than the ones that we came across. Yeah. So seemingly to me, like shade creepers are just a thing in this area of the world, but these ones that are with this yeah. dwarf are different. And these maybe, are, yeah. Yeah. Right. He's, right. he's done something Which, or someone's done something. Yeah. So what's, what's going on with this dude? What's going on with this guy? Um, yeah. Was, was Brown sued? Was that a throwback by the way? Cause I saw Laura Bailey's reaction was like, almost like, ah, like we can't get rid of this stuff or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, sued is, is been, uh, it's been referenced before. It was, there was some sued stuff in campaign one. Okay. Maybe okay. even, maybe a little campaign two, too, but mostly campaign one. So it's like, it's a drug, uh, okay. in Exandria. Um, so yeah, but so, uh, Janaya mentioned that Duggar like got addicted to it. Right. Or well, throws out the idea maybe right like we okay. don't know if certainly he just says like oh yeah there's plenty of stuff like that that could have um okay you know, could have been it so he was just so. like postulating he didn't yeah okay, yeah that's I what i know. took that to mean at least okay yeah so like, i mean but clearly speaking. you know he was a carpenter he was normal for the most part and then like you know he got this gaunt appearance started changing still was coming into right. money even though his business closed so yeah clearly Maybe whatever is altering these shade creepers to be different than the normal ones is the same substance that has altered Duggar. And so like, I don't know. Oh yeah. You know, like maybe they're right. both been affected by something that's doing this to them. Okay. Yeah. Cause I had taken it to mean the dwarf had Duggar had affected them, but that actually makes, um, it makes a lot of sense for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. So I wonder like, so, I mean, not that either of us thought Duggar was the top of this, this whatever organ whatever's happening here i don't think either right. of us thought duggar was the top but clearly i think that they like he and maybe the shade creepers are being like influenced by by some substance or you know some person um and it, right it, but why like broomstone but why and maybe like broomstone maybe is just one facet of what they're doing but um right but yeah, I mean, to, to roll back to the original question of like, what do we think happened here? I clearly influenced, but I don't know more than that, like by a substance, what? by a person, by both. Yeah. And so the detail on him being a carpenter, 
saw a great Reddit comment on remember that the first encounter was with furniture. Oh, so I thought that's an interesting tie-in. But the true, it's a bit of a different flavor than the Shade Creepers. So it, maybe it's a bit of a stretch to connect those, but maybe not. I don't know. It is real um, random. I, I've I've been wondering like what was that? We still really never got an explanation for that, unless you know it was Bell setting that up, but that doesn't seem to be have been the case. Yeah, what's your take on who bought Corsairs? Because they're presented as this Robin Hood esque organization, but yet Dorian yeah. mentions like this doesn't add up. And uh, was it Milo that warned like, oh, like Ashton, don't get into that. I think. yeah, and basically says I think he says like even like if you do, don't bring it back here. Mm-hmm. Like don't. You know, which to me, Milo seems like the type of the person they would know kind of more about the truth of that type of organization. Whereas people on the street, you know, might be like, oh, yeah, they're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, you know, go Corsairs. Milo, I feel like knows more. And so since he was kind of worried about it, that makes me think that they're not all as Robin Hood as they maybe are hoping to be perceived as. Um, But it was interesting that I think it was mentioned they are like adversarial with the ivory syndicate which maybe it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing or maybe it's kind of like a rival gang situation they're both bad but at least they're you know fighting each other gangs of new york style yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean so for my money i think it's kind of just like a rival gang if you will maybe they have a little bit more morality or you know maybe they have like aspirational goals of like you know we're doing this kind of like we're doing the dirty work that needs to be done to like ultimately help drusar or whatever like i could buy that but i still think it's probably like bad news yeah which at the end is this do you think these are the who bought corsairs or oh someone no, else i don't think so. that okay and is is the implication that the because the, the way i took it was the shadow baker um who, by the way, um, Ashen basically is like, what's it going to take to get this information? And uh, the Shadow Baker basically says, like, I like people to basically name their price first to let me know, like, what wor- how much worth they find in me. Yeah. So part of me wondered if this was a bit of an insult, the five gold. Um, and then the other thing that I was thinking about was how Cavalier Imogen seems to be using her... Um, telepathy Mm -hmm. and one of the running threads in exu was how offensive it was when marada marada basically peers into opal's mind um the phrase that kept getting used was without consent Mm -hmm. and so here's imogen doing the same thing very deliberately and openly and so i wondered if the implication is that paired with the low gold offer offended this person enough to essentially lead them into a trap or if there's like a greater narrative here. I, I think so. That's that's what I took from it. That um, Ashton ruled really poorly on that persuasion check that he made in this encounter as well. Uh, Fern, even though it kind of worked out ultimately, Fern like stole something from him. Right. And then Very was like, expensive. let's yeah, trade. Actually. You Good know, point. like so they ended up still making a trade and it seemed like amicable right. enough. But she stole one of his treats and... Uh, and then, you know, Imogen probing his mind without consent. Uh, so to me, I think that he was like, you know, screw these people uh, and set them up to go be ambushed, basically. Like, you know, because he seems to be powerful, at least in the sense of like, 
not not necessarily like he's a could wipe the whole party by himself but like powerfully connected like he yeah um so yeah for my money that was not the corsairs like you know they asked him about the corsairs and he's like yeah go here to me it was like uh, i'm trapping you because you have offended me well and it was weird how off off the course they got from visiting advics advic because right. I was like, that's where they were going, but now they're going somewhere else. And so I it almost read it like they were heading that way. They did a pit stop, and then they were given like this, this because Ashton had already shown he really didn't want to go see Advic. Um, and so I guess that's why they now were going to this other place instead of the original plan of seeing Advic. Well, yeah, we'll see. I think they were still going to see Advic, right? But I think just like the flavor of the Elder's Post and stuff, they were mm-hmm. looking around and Matt introduced this really cool NPC, yeah. the Shadow Baker. Like, I think it was just like a, a flavor place they stopped on the way to Advic, but, right. you know, they were like, oh, well, maybe this can lead somewhere and this is be like, this will be what we do instead. Uh, yeah. But since they offended him, he was like, you know. One quick, really cool detail that I liked about this description of the Elder Post is. Um, it was very nostalgic of when my wife and I, we visited Korea, these, the subway system is very pronounced and it is so common. Like when you go shopping, um, like it's, it's much smaller landmass compared to, um, like the United States, obviously. So you have to build up and you have to also build down. And so there's subway systems, like you'll go shopping and you'll head to this subway floor that has all of these shops all of these like and like that is what you're doing when you're going shopping there's plenty of stores like uh, out on top but um the vibe and description of that was so on point and um matt had said in his prep for designing the world he had done a lot of work at looking at other cultures things that were like common and natural and uh, that was just a that was just a detail that I really appreciated. I was like, okay, this is exactly how I would envision one of these markets. Okay, uh, yeah. Being set up. So I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Random cool. detail. That sounds like a cool experience. Did you like? Did y'all enjoy? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. We we had a great time for sure. Um, it, it 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 just despite I mean, regardless of how fun or not fun it was, it was just such a great tie to the Elder Post, I guess. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, I like that. Um, so yeah um, so if it's not the corsairs yeah so yeah what's going on uh Del- i don't think it was the corsairs because you know clearly um the, the 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 scene they're met with all these people like smiling at them in the dark and the guy coming out like with a sword very threateningly basically saying like this is not your lucky day uh i don't i don't know it just seems like some really cool uh, world building to me like some flavor about like what kind of stuff goes down in this kind of under under city back alley like uh, culture that that seemingly is present here in Drusar and the Elders Post specifically so I mean to me it's probably just they're gonna get like robbed I guess I don't know if like this the intention here is to like literally murder this crew of people just because they offended a the shadow baker but maybe he's too. that ruthless I don't know yeah. uh well, and I, I like it in the sense of, I forgot you mentioned the detail of Fern pickpocketing one of the baked goods. And she has been this chaotic, neutral, she is a kleptomaniac. You know, impulsive, um, wasn't quite like this in EXU, by the way. But um, I like Matt sort of, um, you know, burning the hand a little bit and being like, yeah, this is, 
this is not a world full of naive people. Like you have to be a bit mindful. Um, yeah. If that, if that was an added reason why the shadow Baker, um, set them on their way. I don't know. No. Yeah. That that's absolutely how I'm reading it. And that's how I take it is that, you know, this isn't, this isn't a rail, this isn't a railroad campaign. Like, Hey, we're going to find Advic, So that's what's going to happen. It's like, no, they decided to stop at this guy and they're actually, they, you know, kind of did not treat him with respect, stole from him, probed his mind without consent and actions have consequences. So now instead of, you know, the train we were on trying to find the Hubot Corsairs, they have found themselves in this mess. Right. Um, right. so yeah, I mean, I imagine that it's just like, a they're getting mugged basically is my, yeah. um, take on it. But um, the thing that was weird to me was like, why is there like 30 people just all standing in this? Yeah. Room? I don't, that, I don't mm -hmm. know. Like it's a but pretty maybe elaborate, shadow, maybe the shadow breaker, like clued them in, you know, carrier pigeon <laughs> or if Imogen, Imogen was able to talk to him, you know, totally out of sight. And so maybe he has a similar uh ability where he can be like hey i'm sending some people your way i don't know yeah i mean that's that's what i take it to mean is that like they have some sort of agreement where like you know he'll send them stupid tourists as it were that this is an easy fleece you know we can make some money we can rob these people and maybe he gets a cut of it so like i don't think this was all elaborately set up just for this instance yeah. to get these people i think that they like they probably send yeah. lots of people down there throughout the day you know every day or whatever it may be yeah everyone kind of just mingles and it's like you know surprise birthday party they're here they're here yeah, yeah. they go yeah. turn off the lights everybody get, look menacing yeah yeah it's like is that heron coming up okay good we didn't <laughs> want to waste it <laughs> so, yeah okay. what, what do they do between the muggings yeah well uh man we're getting towards the end of this episode what what else jumped out at you um one thing that I did want to mention, this isn't really like a whole discussion topic, but um, on the broomstone, uh, which clearly that has some role in the greater scheme that's going on here. Um, it was interesting to me to learn that um, there is only one place in all of Exandria that handles this, that yeah. builds the, the skyships, uh, the Belsfarren Union. Thank you. Okay. I, I might be... Bells far and bells fair and something like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so you know, my just mind got to to tingling, which it doesn't seem that that is in Drusar, to my understanding. It it sounds like it's somewhere else. Yeah, I got um, that implication too. So, <clears throat> especially if they're the only ones that build airships, clearly this broomstone is not being used for airships. So what are they using it for? Um, that's a great point. Yeah, if it's been so far explicitly described as this is for that purpose like what what other you know element of it or characteristic is it being harnessed for um i don't know yeah we do know that another use of it has been to float cities in the past um so i'm wondering if like since this is like this these spires these tall you know this drusar is like this tall you know city in and of itself i wonder if there's like some sort of like if there's some sort of like terrorist application of this broomstone where they could maybe like lift one of these spires up in a way, or maybe like use it to like a bomb in some form or something. I don't know. That'd be, does, do the campaigns have like those kinds of big, um, why don't EXU mentioned one, there was, uh, without spoilers, but there was a town, like a major town that, um, got attacked, I guess. Um, because it was like the scar, right? Mm -hmm. 
I can't remember the details, honestly. But uh, I guess these big moments do happen. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a insane. living, breathing world, you know. So yeah. any, anything be crazy if one of those got. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I don't. It's just pure speculation. But I did want to mention. I just thought that was interesting to find out that only one place in in the entire world <laughs> deals yeah. with that. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what what's this broomstone for? Yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, that's all I got. I'm trying to think. We. Uh, okay yeah i think that's all i got too i, I think we hit most of everything i wanted yeah. to talk about well definitely you guys who are still watching let us know in the comments other um cool details things that you know jumped out at you we'd love to engage you talk with you don't forget we're on twitter at the pixelus and uh we'll be back next week so we shall wait thumbnail yeah ideas um, hmm Maybe we could, uh, I don't know. I was thinking like something with Orem and FCG and like the fact that he lost the rock, but I don't really know how we convey that in a, in a thumbnail. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be like one person kind of like, you know, like you did what? And that person being like, <laughs> okay. you know, like this or something. Yeah, that works so. for me. That works. Okay. Yeah. Which, Which one, one do you want to do? It <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, I'll be the like, you know, whatever person. Okay. So I'm Orem. Yeah, no, I'll be Orem. You'll be FGG being like okay. that. You know, you you know, you got rid of my yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. Yeah. See you guys next week. See ya. Bye.